Let's get into the Word. By the time we're done, the book of John will just fall out of the Bible because we'll just be in the middle. And already, when I open mine up, and it, it, it opens to John. How about yours? Hope you're in, enjoying your, your reading through, and I don't know if you're finding other things. Often I find when you're doing a, a, a series in Bible study, you find that other things start coming in and talking about the same things that you're studying in the Word, and that's always great. We're in the second part of John chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And so I'm going to, we're going to, actually, I'm going to ask my son Matthew, in his best reading voice, to read the whole passage there. Would you do that? Nice and loud. 13 through the end. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others staying at the table exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it was written, Steal for your house. Amen. So you've got almost a third of your daily Bible reading done for the, you know, because you three chapters a day. If you read three chapters a day on average, you'll read the whole Bible in a year. So we, we, we just, you know, came to this passage. We've been walking through the book of John and John's going in a kind of chronological, just the first few days of Jesus life. Now, I'm just going to point out some things like I have been as we're going through this. There's two accounts of Jesus cleansing the temple. There's this one in John, which which happens at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. In fact, he hasn't done anything yet publicly as ministry yet, and this is really his, his first act here. Now, we also find that he does it right before the final Passover um, at the end of Jesus' life. And, and scholars are really, they're not sure if, if John's uh, is out of place here or if there was two. And so we, we really don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to say that I'm, I'm believing that there was twice that he actually kind of did it, went in there to the temple because he wanted them to know and really remind them what was going on. Um, so what's go, what is happening here? You know, the, the history here of, of course, the Jews celebrating Passover forever, uh, ever since God led them out of Egypt. They would celebrate the Passover every year. It's very important to do that. And so it was also one of the festivals that right after the Passover – was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, a seven-day uh, feast. And the Jews would actually come to Jerusalem, to the place where he dwelt. The Bible was clear that the, the men would need to come up to Jerusalem to, to worship. And so all throughout, scattered throughout the land of Judea and all, all the surrounding area were the Jews, they were living. We know that uh, uh, Jesus' family from Galilee, they're, they're about 50 miles away from Jerusalem. 
Remember going back in the story, we know that Jesus' family went up to Jerusalem when Jesus was 12. We believe he went every year because good Jews went to Jerusalem every year for the Passover celebration. And so Jesus, we know that he was there when he was 12. He stays behind. His parents go on the road to their 50-mile journey to the house. I believe, and there's no reason to believe any other way, that Jesus spent every Passover at the temple. This was nothing new to him. This wasn't his first time back, and he said, wow, what's going on? But he finds himself in a different place. We find him. And why did he wait? Why didn't he ever do that? Because he was waiting for his ministry to come and be fulfilled. Imagine, he's, he's, what he does here is a moment of passion. There's grief in him. There's anger. But yet he was here last year and the year before. Was there no grief and anger? Please just wait, wait. It's not my time. And so he comes to, the, with the, to this Passover celebration. There were probably two, three, maybe 400,000 Jews in Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. They would set up these tables both to sell animals, un, you know, unblemished, non-spotted animals. It, it, partly, too, you know, if yours wasn't good enough, then they could sell you theirs. But people couldn't always bring their animals from far away. They was too far to carry, so they would just purchase them. But people were charging too much. There's also something else happening here, um, and that's the money changers. Because in the temple, you could not use money that, that had graven images on it. And the Roman money and all the money from different areas would have pictures of people or things on it. And that, that was not allowed to be used in the temple. So money changers were there in order to take the money that you would spend on everyday things and turn it into temple money. Okay, the shekel or the Tyrian money. And so these money changers had been there for a long time, and they were, they were part of the whole setup. They're, they're called, I, think they're, I think they're called Shalani. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But, but they would charge 4 to 8% on your exchange rate. Who's ever been to a foreign country? Remember those? You walk around the whole city looking for the best exchange rate, right? And I was down, it was really fun. We lived in Guatemala. We'd look, and we, we knew the best places, you know, to go because we had to exchange money. We always told people. But I, I was thinking about it one day. I says, if I change this $20 into Quetzal, I'm going to get, it was about 155 uh, Quetzal back. Um, and then if I turn that 155 Quetzal back into dollars, I'd end up with about $18. Standing in the bank, give me your Quetzal, now take my Quetzal and take my money. And I just lost like $2 just in that exchange because you, you lose both ways. That's what these guys are doing too. There's a profit being made. And so they're changing money and they're charging a little bit. And so there was an enormous amount of money actually in the storehouses at the temple where they would exchange money for people. So, so that's kind of the background. You've got the Passover happening. And, and, it's, and it's just amazing because all of, these, all of these people, the Jews that are coming, especially the, the men who would be coming into the temple, in order to come into the temple, they would have to do a ritual cleansing. And so there's baths set up everywhere to have people have, get your ritual cleansing done. And it's just it's a massive uh, festival feast about to happen here. And um, so that's the Passover. So Jesus is coming in, and he's seeing, seeing this, not for the first time. And what does he do? He makes a whip of cords, verse 15. And he drives them all out of the temple, the sheep and the oxen. I don't know how many people are in there, but it's crowded. The time of the Passover, 
hundreds of thousands of people coming to Jerusalem. Now, the temple is important to, to think about, too. This is the, the second temple, but it's the second temple rebuilt. Okay, Herod, who was the ruler of, uh, he was the king of the Jews. He died in about 4, 4 B.C. One of his, to his credit, he rebuilt the temple. And it was more glorious than even what Solomon had done. It was bigger. It was, he was a builder, a master architect. He was known for building uh, immense and grandiose things. And he, had, he was building shrines for the pagans. And so in about 20 B.C., in order to, to keep a standing with the Jews, he began construction, uh, renovation and construction on the Jewish temple. And so it took a couple years for the main part. But they say that he could have been working on, they could have been working on the whole thing because they enlarged it so large um, up until just before it was actually destroyed. We know that even though the main construction uh, historically took about two years, year and a half to two years, that here in, in uh, what we just read, it says, will you destroy what's taken us 46 years to build? They started in about 20 B.C., and right now it's probably about 26 Okay, so 46 years later, and they're still working on it, and they're making it bigger and bigger and bigger and grandiose. And so people would want to come to even see that. It was outlaid with marble, and there was gold, and it was just, it was magnificent. So the, the Jews would come, and they wanted to be, see the temple, and they wanted to come, and they needed to come. Each man needed to come and present himself in Jerusalem. And so Jesus comes again for his maybe 30th time, and he says, no more. What were they doing? They needed to worship. They needed, the Jews needed to make their sacrifices. They needed to kill the, the lamb without blemish that night. And they didn't have them, so they had to provide them with a lamb. Is that wrong? Jesus saw that what they were doing had turned into a business rather than the heart of worship. They were still doing all the things that they were supposed to do in the temple. The sacrifices were happening. They were being pious. They were honoring God, but it had turned into a business. It had turned casual, and God says, no, it's not a market. It's really easy to do the same thing with Christianity, turn Christianity into a market. I remember years ago, and I loved the vineyard music, and we would go to the conference. In fact, when I was leading worship over at Community Church with Pastor Floyd for a short time, we went to a vineyard conference together, and, and we loved what was happening there, and the Spirit of God was moving. But right about the time that we went to that conference, they changed, and, and they, had a worship, uh, they had a worship part of their ministry of their church and it got sucked over here and became a secularized worship-producing machine. And the worship leaders were made to produce an album every year. In order to keep making music, they had to produce. And many of them walked away because what happened? They were loving the Lord and God was moving and God was anointing something that was happening. And then it turned commercial. It's, it's such an easy fall from here to here for us. Why did we come this morning? It might just be for commercial, because this is what we do every Sunday. Don't let it become that in your life. Don't let it become cold. We have church on Sunday. We go to church on Sunday. No, we come because we want to meet with God. Church is wonderful. People, there's, there's a big movement all around saying, oh, I don't like organized religion. Well, do you like disorganized religion better? 
you know, it's, what is religion? It's focused on Him. If it's focused on Him, then it's good. But don't let it get focused on rituals and the things that we do, because that's just what we've been doing. And Jesus saw that, and He was grieved, and He says, no more. This is not what it's about. Verse 17 is disciples. Now remember, that this, if this is the beginning, and again, John's putting it at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but if it's at the beginning, the disciples are going, who are you? What are you doing? Don't you think somebody walking into this, the court of the Gentiles at the Passover, flipping over money changers and driving people out with a whip would grab some suspicion and going, what is going on here? And the disciples, I'm sure, were going, what are you doing? But that says that they remembered, zeal for your house has eaten me up, has consumed me, some of your versions say. So that's, that comes right out of Psalm 69. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. You were consumed. He was zealous. You know, God is zealous. Jesus was zealous for the things of his father. And so he's making this commotion. Now, his first coming out, he, he, did the, the, he turned the water into wine. But this is, this is big. This is public. And it's not a miracle. It's not a sign. Remember, we talked about signs last week, not miracles. This isn't a sign. But he's coming in, and, he's, and his first public display is about holiness. It's not about miracles. It's about who he is, not what he can do. Who he is. He says, no, the things that you're doing could be okay, but they're not. Bringing worship to God is okay. Making profit for profit's sake. Making it a market. A house of merchandise is not okay. And so, I can't even imagine the pandemonium, but finally the, the, the leaders and stuff, they, they, they get it together and they go, we can't let this guy keep doing this. So I imagine they kind of cut him off at the pass at some point. Now Jesus, I believe, you know, we have some pictures of Jesus we've seen over the years. I don't think I've ever seen a good picture of Jesus. You know, carpenters worked with wood and stone. Carpenters in that time, they didn't just work with wood. He was also a stone carver. It means he built, he moved big stones. He was not a wimp. Jesus was a strong man. And he took that cord, and I think he was, he was impressive. And people were, wow, and they surrounded us. What miracle are you going to do to justify what you just did? See, if he is a prophet, if he is somebody they knew better they did know that the prophets come in and they do some weird things. But you've got to listen to the prophets. Because when they start announcing doom, you need to repent. Right? When we read through the Old Testament, prophets would come in and do crazy things. So their question is, what miracle are you going to show, are you going to do to give you authority to do what you just did? So, that, so at least they got a little bit of sense in them going, maybe this is of God. But he's got to prove it. And so Jesus, though he could have done so many things, he could have done a miracle. He just healed somebody. He had done anything he wanted to prove who he was. He says, 
destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. It's taken us 46 years to build it. They worked hard. And you're going to do it in three days? And of course, we know that he was talking about his temple. Prophetic, leaning towards the future. He does not answer them. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to prove who he is to them. And he doesn't have to prove who he is to you and to me. He is Jesus. And we trust and put our faith in him. And we don't demand miracles from him to validate his life and ministry in our lives. You can rest on that for a minute. We could probably stop right there and just repent. Because many times we've said, God, you've got to show yourself. And because he's gracious and sovereign, he still chooses to do that. But here's a newsflash. He didn't do it just because you asked him to do it. He did it because it was the right thing to do in the situation. And he is sovereign. Jesus doesn't do miracles for miracles sake. He does signs. And he knows what sign is needed in the right time. And that's why sometimes we go without seeing the sign that we want to see. Because Jesus says, you don't need to see it. I've got a different path for you. I know something more than you do today. He looks forward. He prophesies of his death. His disciples says in verse 22, when he had risen from the dead, then his disciples remembered what he'd said to them. You know, I wonder if the whole three years they're walking with him, they've walked by the temple and go, man, I wonder if It'll get destroyed today and we can see Jesus rebuild it in three days. You know, they were they, they didn't know. He just said it and he said he's he's everything else he said is coming true. So one of these days this temple's gonna come down and Jesus is gonna rebuild it in three days. Isn't that gonna be awesome? How about us? How about us? We have a lot of misunderstandings of the things in the word. Romans eight twenty eight. God makes everything good for those who love Him. So everything's good. You're a Christian. Everything's good. The Bible says it. We've got some misunderstandings of the Word. That's not what it says. He'll make, it, he'll make everything good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. He can bring something out of the ashes, out of the coal. But sometimes it takes a while and you have to wait around long enough to see the beauty that comes out of it when God is finally done with it because He's not on our own timeline. He's on His timeline. I wish it wasn't so. I mean, my, if it was on my timeline, my life would look a lot different. But it's on His. So Lord, help us to understand what You're saying and, and wait on You. And this last part here, Verse 23 through the end, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting section. It says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. So, so now we don't know what these are. 
So now it's the actual Passover, is it Passover and, and the week beyond. And sometimes they will lump, just so you, you know, sometimes in the re- reading of the Bible, they'll lump the Passover with the whole seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread because the Passover wasn't a, a week-long celebration. But it was Passover and then the, a seven-day feast. And so they'll sometimes lump the whole whole thing in together. Um, and that's actually the, the reason why we're always confused on three days when Jesus rose again is because the first day of the unleavened bread is a Sabbath. It's a, it's a holy day, and it's a Sabbath. And then the Passover is also a special day, it's a Sabbath. And so you have the Passover, then you have the next day was a special Sabbath for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then the next day was the normal Sabbath, and then it was the first day of the week. That we've always just, that's, that's why there's, there's actually three days in between, is there was two Sabbaths back to back. Mary couldn't go to the tomb on the special Sabbath, or on the regular Sabbath, she had to wait until the third day. I don't know if that makes any sense to you when I figured, when I, because I, I always thought I found a, a hole in the Bible. Friday, Sunday, that's not three days. And so, sorry, sidetrack, we can erase that from the recording. I just thought it was interesting. And so, so here it is during the Sabbath, and we don't know what this, but he says, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. And so obviously he's doing signs. He's doing things, again, not miracles, signs. He's performing miracles with a purpose to show his glory, that he would be magnified. He doesn't do miracles for miracles' sake. And they believed in him when they saw them. Verse 24 says, But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man. For he knew what was in man. And I read that and I can't tell you how many times. What? This is what I believe it's basically saying. They believed in him because they saw his miracles. But they weren't disciples yet. They didn't understand. They knew that he was, he was special and he was the Messiah because he did a miracle. But maybe they were just too immature still. He, couldn't, he wasn't going to commit himself to those who wanted to see a sign, wanted to see a miracle. And he knew what was in the heart of men. And men in their best places get off track. Go back to the Vineyard Church. And I don't speak, I'm not speaking negative. I, I loved it. I still love what, what John Wimber started, the, the, allowing God to be part of services and move like that. And yet, here in the best hearts of men, trying to bring worship and, and anointed worship, They just got off a little bit. And Jesus knows that. So he didn't commit himself to men because he knew that in that process, they'd want to exalt him before it was time. And they had a, they'd have a different plan. They, they, even up until the end, they wanted Jesus not to just come and rule their hearts. He wanted, they wanted him to come and take Jerusalem back over. They'd been under a puppet king for centuries. It was horrible. And Jesus knew that so he wouldn't commit his way to them. Because he knew all men. This morning he knows us. He knows where we're at. And he says, come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden. I'm going to ask the ushers to just go ahead and begin to pass out the communion elements. When you get them, we'll... we'll Hold on to them. It'll be a couple minutes, so make sure you have some room and just hold on to them. We'll, we'll take in, in a moment. But 
Jesus says, come to me, all you that are labor and heavy laden. He wants us to commit ourselves to him. He doesn't come and become our personal God. We've got to be careful in our, our phrasing. I don't think any of us would mean it that way, but we say things like, well, do you know, do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? And that's a great saying if we understand what it means, that he came to save me personally. He didn't just come to do a blanket thing. He saw me and he loved me and he saved me personally. And the same goes for you. That's his personal Savior. He didn't come to be your personal God. Be my little God. I need you. He's very personal, but he is so above us. He knows our hearts. And he says, listen, I'm not going to come and be your personal God, but I'm going to ask you. Go ahead and pass these out. That would be out, guys. That would be great. Thank you. And then we'll pray together in a moment. And he, um, he says, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to be your personal God. Submit your way. Give me your life. Submit your way unto the Lord. Cast your cares on Him. Come to Him. Thank you very much. Because He knows us. And He says, my way, if you'll submit your life to me, is going to be way better than all the plans you think you've got right now. It's better. That song we sang was, was so apropos this morning. I surrender. I surrender. You know, we celebrate communion once a month here. It was instituted during the Passover. It was the, the first celebration of, of communion at the end of Jesus' life, not at the beginning. But we do this every month, and it represents the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And Jesus said when he took the communion with his disciples he, he tried to break their thinking, their patterns they were still Old Testament they didn't have a New Testament yet they didn't have the book of John they wrote the book of John so they had the Old Testament and Jesus still had to knock up against knock up against them all the time just like he has to do with me because I got all these preconceived thoughts and ideas. And, and he comes and he, he did that in the Passover celebration. He says, listen, you've been doing it one way for a lot of time. And you're, you can keep doing that. But listen, the bread is my body. And it's broken for you. And he took the cup. And we're not going to take in just a moment. He says, and, and this blood is the blood in the new covenant. It's my blood. It's not the... And that doesn't represent the Passover lamb. I am the Passover lamb. And after this, it's all done. Whenever you do this afterwards, you remember what I did for you. And by taking of communion, we commit our way to him. We say, Lord, you're right. You broke your body for me. You shed your blood for me. And so I'm going to follow your way, not mine. So it's a real heavy moment. It's not just... Thank you for forgiveness. It's understanding that He is God. 
This morning as we've gone through in the Word, that's what I get out of this section in John. We need to commit our way completely to Him and understand who He is. Understand that He is holy and He doesn't want us to get lost in the marketing or in the ritualistic things that we can get wrapped up into even today as Christians. And even as we believe in Him this morning, He's not committing His ways to us. We're committing our ways to Him. I don't know if you see that. There's a slight difference. You know, I sometimes when I drive places, I'll I'll have somebody in the car be the be the map holder. Now it's the kind of the GPS holder. But I've I already know the route, mapped it out. They're just kind of helping me. I don't say, hey, just wherever you want to go, we'll just go. Just tell me when to turn. I'm in control. God wants to be in control. Don't tell him which way to turn. But he's given us his word. So this morning as we take of communion, it's about committing our ways to him afresh, surrendering all. Father, we thank you for the elements, for the the cracker and the juice this morning that represent what you did for us. You allowed your body to go through something that none of us could, I believe, survive. Because you loved us. You shed your blood to show that our sins would be completely forgiven in and through you. Father, it's really easy to get off track and to go our own way. I've done it, probably done it this week. Father, this morning I want to commit my way into you. Knowing that your way is the right way, that you shed your blood and were crucified for me to give me life, to give me eternal life, to lead me and guide me on this earth. Oh, we thank you for your broken body that comes with healing and restoration. May we receive this cracker together. It's in Jesus' name. know that he then took the cup as we just talked about a moment ago and gave thanks and he said it was a new covenant. Father, we thank you that we're not under the law. We're under grace. And that you've called all of us to yourself. We thank you that in Christ is forgiveness of sins. Father, for anyone in here who needs that forgiveness this morning, we thank you that they can simply say, Lord, I receive your sacrifice for my sin. Forgive me. I commit my life unto you. Make me a new creation. Father, we we say your will be done. We surrender. We thank you for your blood. In Jesus' name.
Robert, could you come and just sing that last chorus, the bridge of that surrender? I surrender. We'll leave on that. If the worship team wants to come and join them, that would be great. But um, let's let's worship and sing as we go out and just sing in that, that last section. I surrender like a mighty wind, rushing wind in a mighty storm. Thank you, Lord Jesus.